Rachel was 20 years old and in her second week of college at a brand new school when her mom died. Rachel's grief consumed her and she felt very isolated. She searched desperately for resources she could relate to and found very few. So she decided to write a book about her experience and it's called Losing Your Mom When You're 20. If you are enjoying the podcast, can you please leave a rating and review? I'd really appreciate it. And now, Rachel's story. Hi, this is Beth, and welcome back to the Daughters Without Moms podcast. Today, I have with me Rachel, um, and Rachel is one of the women who um, replied to my request on Instagram when I was looking for people who were willing to share their stories. And so Rachel um, filled out the form, and here we are today, and... uh, Yeah, Rachel wrote a book that she's going to tell us about during her story. So um, she has told this story before. And um, even though she's 23 years young, she tells me that she's comfortable with doing this. So uh, as always, I appreciate you being here. I appreciate people being willing to share their stories. Rachel said that she's listened to the podcast a lot. And that just makes my heart happy and that, you know, all of our stories are important and who knows what part of your story, Rachel, is going to reach out to someone else. So again, thanks for being here. I'm going to pass the mic over to you and let you tell your story. And then I'll come back when you're done and we'll have a few questions. So thanks again for being here. Okay. Thank you, Beth. Um, Yeah. So mine started, I moved to college January 17th, brand new college. Um, I said goodbye to my mom that night. And this is, seems really random, but it's really important to me is she asked if I wanted her to wake up to say goodbye in the morning. Um, Cause I was leaving at like 5am, something ridiculous with my dad. And I was like, she's not a morning person. I said, no, it's fine. I just had surgery on my leg. I'll be home in two weeks. I'll see you then. Um, I had no idea that was the last time I would ever really speak to her in person, hear her voice. Uh, That was just very unexpected. Uh, I moved into college and I remember texting my mom all my pictures of my dorm and I was like, look at this. It's so cool. And I wasn't getting a response and that wasn't normal. My mom was my best friend. We text back and forth all the time. We called. It was odd. Um, And my dad got back home late that night and he told me she's sick. She's just not feeling good. It is whatever. So I thought she had the flu or something like not a big deal. Just she's not doing good. And then that Saturday night was the last night I ever turned my phone on. Do not disturb when I went to bed. Um, I got a call from her, which I missed her last ever call. And she told me all her muscles were twitching. She didn't know what to do. I have a lot of medical problems, so she thought maybe I would have some advice. Um, So I try calling her back. She doesn't answer me. We end up texting back and forth a little bit, and she's telling me she had asthma, that her breathing was struggling a bit. She needed to go to the hospital, but my dad was very, he's very money conscious, so he just didn't want to take her. That makes him sound like a horrible person. He's not. He just wanted to save money. Um, so after texting with him and getting my grandmother involved, eventually I convince him and he takes her and drops her off at the local emergency room. And I remember one of the last texts I sent to her was she was getting put on a breathing treatment. Now it wasn't quite 
a tube or in like intubation yet. I don't fully know what it was. I was five hours away in Michigan. She was in Ohio. Um, I just remember her saying she had friends coming and she would be okay. And the last thing I ever said was good. Uh, and at some point that day, she entered the ICU, but my family was not made aware. Um, this hospital she's at is nicknamed Die Point. It was not the best hospital in the world, um, for sure. A lot of regrets about that. Um, at some point, I ended up getting a nurse's phone number for a nurse's line and being able to call on updates because my dad was working. That's how he coped with it. He just thought her asthma was acting up. And I called for an update and I got told that her lungs had collapsed. And that's when I kind of knew something's not right. This isn't just her asthma. This isn't a tune-up. There's something majorly wrong. And I started to freak out a bit. It was my first day of classes at a brand new college. I'm trying to go to class. I don't have a car because I just had surgery on my right leg. So I can't drive back home. Freaking out a bit. Um, and I think I made it through that day texting my dad, like, how do I get home? I want to go home. And he's like, it's not that bad. Because again, none of us knew she was in the ICU at that point. They failed to ever convey that information, which I don't know at a, as a hospital how you do that. Um, but anyways, that Tuesday, I remember the 21st, I ended up, my friend drove me halfway to Ohio and then my dad drove me halfway back. And then I got home at like 11 p.m. at night or something. So I woke up the next day, like 6 a.m., going to the hospital. I know the shifts change at 7. Like, I'll be there for the shift change. And I remember the lady said, go up to the third floor and you turn left. No one told me I would be turning onto the intensive care unit. I just, I, it was just this utter shock for me because, I mean, things were bad. Clearly, I knew that but I had no idea really what was going on or the intensity of it. And I remember walking down the hallway and I found her room and I went to step in and I was told to step back. Um, and this is before COVID was widely a thing before masks and gloves were a thing, but they told me she had the flu. So I had to wear gloves and a mask to go in her room. So I was like, okay, this is weird. Just seems odd, but okay, I'll do it. And I, I remember I put those on and as I go to step into her room, it was like out of a movie because all the alarms start going off. All like everything. It was like out of a movie, tons of people rushing to her room. I'm like, okay, things are really, really, really bad. Um, and apparently what had happened was her lungs, one or both um, had collapsed again over her course of her stay, this happened numerous times. She, when I finally got to see her, was on a ventilator. Um, I think at that point I had been like two days on the ventilator. Um, I hadn't known she was on a ventilator, I don't think, when I came. I didn't know a whole lot. I just knew it was bad. Um, I kind of became the one in charge of information. I don't really know how this happened because I'm the youngest in the family. But my one brother lived in Florida. The other was in medical school. My dad doesn't do really well with things that are emotional. So he was staying at work and I lived at the hospital. Some nights I went home for four or five hours, but I, I just, the hospital was my whole world and I kept getting updates from the doctors and I'll never forget. He compared her lungs to Swiss cheese 
and I don't know why that really bothers me. Um, I understand it was his comparison, um, but basically the ventilator was making her lungs collapse because it would put so much pressure, I guess, something with holes. I'm not a doctor. I don't fully know. Um, and during, she spent 10 days in the ICU. During that time, she got a lot worse. She started going septic at one point. I remember her kidneys were struggling, like on the edge of failure, but not, she just, it was never good. She would dive and then be okay and then dive and be okay. It was never, we're getting better. And a few days in on her, her on the ventilator they do what's called sedation vacations um so they wean the person off sedation um and they did it twice on my mom and there was never anything like oh she's awake she's there it was like we might have a slight hand grip maybe but something was wrong um and at that point I think I just knew in my gut like this isn't okay. Things aren't getting better. Like, I don't know my mom's final wishes, but I don't think she would want to be like this. Um, so sometime it was two or three days before she passed, we signed a DNR. Me and my dad made that decision of the doctor said, look, if she does recover, um, she's looking at seven to 10 months in a hospital before she could even go home. Um, it was really bleak at that point. Um, and then towards the end of it, they took off all the sedation and she went two full days, 48 hours without any sedation medication. And she still wasn't waking up, which was cause for concern. I was freaking out. I had family come in to say their goodbyes at one point. Cause I was like, I just, I just got a feeling this isn't. And I remember everyone came and then everyone left. And I was the one standing there like, okay, still going through this, figuring it out on my own. And they wanted to do a CT scan to see why she wasn't waking up. So they start like testing her because she was on so much life support at that point to see, can she even make it to the CT machine? Is she even stable enough? And they did a test run and they're like, yes, we got this. Okay, she can do it. And they go to take her for a CT scan and they were gone forever. I remember at this point, I was freaking out to my dad. I was like, you need to come to the hospital. Like, we need to talk about what's going to happen because doctors are saying nothing's gonna there's they without them saying she's not gonna get better they were saying it just legally you know they can't and I guess again one of her lungs had collapsed when she went for that CT scan and this was at least the 10th time that it happened uh, they had been collapsing numerous times a day almost every day like she had chest tubes in the whole bit it was awful um and I, I don't know why this came into my head and it's hard to look back on, but I just, at that point, it had been 10 days of it. I told my dad, like, this isn't what she wants. She's not getting better. They don't know why she's not waking up. There wasn't brain damage, they said, because I guess when they look at their eyes, I don't know. I'm not a doctor. Um but they said her body was starting to shut down and it 
the chance of recovery was almost nothing. Um, and I remember I pushed my dad and I was like, you need to get here. Like, we need to make a decision um, about pulling life support. Again, I had no idea what her wishes were. I was just going based on what I felt. And it just seemed like a really grim situation. And I remember I convinced my dad to come back from work early to show up to the hospital. And we made that decision, um, just me and him. Don't know why I was such a part of it, but I was. Um, and we made that decision to pull life support. And I'll never forget, they tell you when you pull life support, it could be minutes, it could be hours, it could be days. And I was freaking out. I was having panic attacks. I struggle with anxiety in general. The whole mom dying was not helping the situation. Um, and I'll never forget this. Her pastor and a friend from her Bible study showed up. Um, I'll, I'll never forgive him for it. We hadn't even pulled life support yet. We had just made the decision to, so they were preparing for that. And her pastor started asking us, like, where are you? What funeral home have you chose? Have you chose cremation? Have you chose burial? Like, have you, where are you going to hold the ceremony, like the funeral? And I was like, calm down, sir. Like, this is not okay to ask me. She's still alive. Um, and I remember my dad walked out of the room. We were in this waiting room with them. And he's like, I can't stand to listen to this pastor any longer. And he walked out and I'm texting him back and forth. Um, and then her mom's friend didn't know at the time I had my mom's cell phone. I was checking it and using it to keep up with friends' phone numbers and stuff. My mom was part of a Bible study group chat, and this friend was still texting it with my mom in it. And she sent in the group chat that Rachel's giving up on her mom. She's uh, not trusting God. Like, they're giving up. Because I had updated her friends were giving life support, were pulling life support Um and she's sitting in that very room as she sent this text telling me, it's okay. I know God has a plan for this. It, it was just this backstabbing. I had never been so angry in my life because my mom's about to pass. And this woman had the nerve to tell me I was making a mistake. I was living. At this point, my brother had also left the room. And I not so kindly <laughs> confronted both her and the pastor. And I told them to leave. And I have no regrets to this day. I didn't let them say goodbye to her because I know my mom and she would not call those true friends. That's not support. That's not helpful to her. It was just horrible. Um, so they left and eventually, you know, time's going by and they say, you know, we're ready to pull it. So it was me, my one brother from Florida and my dad, because my dad decided he wanted to do it then and there. He didn't want to wait. Um, my other brother was two hours away. He was in med school. He said, we're not waiting. We're just doing it. It was kind of a, I think just a very intense, it's happening type of thing. And um, she passed very quickly. Um, I'm not even sure to this day if I was in the room when it happened because I kept running from her ICU room to the waiting room back and forth like every minute because I was just so freaked out by what was happening. Um she passed away. I want to say it was within two minutes of them pulling life support. So that kind of confirmed it to me and my family. Like that was the right choice. She, she wasn't hanging on anymore. She was gone at that point. 
um, yeah, things moved really, really quickly after she passed. I kind of continued my mom's role that I had took on while she was in the ICU of being the one to update everyone, plan everything. Um, and I think we did what was one of the fastest funeral services I've ever done in my seen in my life. Um, it was two or three days after she passed. We had her service. My dad decided to cremate her and I helped my uncle's a pastor, which helped. Um, I helped do the photo slideshow, plan the music, write the eulogy, um, make the little photo cards. I remember it was just like, I can't even process what is happening right now because there are so many things that need to be done. Um, and I remember that happening. Something that really bothers me about her memorial service, and it shouldn't bother me, but it does, as I remember, my brothers both had groups of friends there, even though they had moved away from the area, and I had no one. I went to school five and a half hours away. Um, I, I didn't expect people to show up, but it just would have been nice to have had somebody there. I remember even my dad wasn't close to people at work, but all of them showed up. Um, it was a really, really large service. I remember just kind of shocked at the amount of people my mom loved and touched. She was a people person to a T and that really showed at her service. Um, right after the day after her service, my dad said, you gotta go back to school. And I was a little freaked, like, how am I supposed to return to normal when I just lost my best friend in the entire universe? Like, I remember that was really difficult because I was brand new at this school. I left on the second day of classes. So I knew no one. I knew nothing. I had a single dorm. I just remember going to classes and being so angry at everyone around me because they talked about usual college kid stuff and complained. And it was just, just shut up. Like my mom's dead. I don't really care. Of course, I didn't say any of that, but it was really, really challenging. And I remember just kind of going on that month. I joined a grief support group right away. I found a counselor. I had struggled with mental illness before she passed. So I knew her dying was going to kind of destroy me. So I kind of grabbed onto every life-saving thing I could at the time to just get through it. Um... And that really helped a lot. What really sucked is she died January 29th, 2020. And COVID, as we all know, kind of hit in March. And I remember they shut down school and said, go home. And my dad was traveling for work at the time. I think that's how he was kind of coping, staying busy. And I remember sitting there like, how am I supposed to go home to this empty house where my mom has always been, where she's supposed to be? Um, I convinced my school they let me stay there through April, April 9th, actually, my birthday, until my dad got back from his trip. And then I ended up going home, um, joining him, and 
things just changed a lot that summer I spent at home, which I had never planned on doing, but you know, COVID happens. Everyone's lives changed a lot. My dad became the father I always wish I had. We had a horrible relationship growing up um, and there's some abuse and that is the one good thing that came out of her passing is he changed for the better and he became the dad I always heard my mom talk about. She talked about this guy she married and who he was and I'm like I don't see him. I've never witnessed this and then now I know who that is and I see why she kind of married him but yeah, that's a little bit, I guess, of that. Um, her passing still, it ate away at me for a long time, I think. I was being home alone with COVID in the small town where I had no friends, just me and my dad. I was doing online support groups still, but... The biggest thing that got to me was I couldn't find anyone else there like me. I felt like I fell into this weird category where there are adults that lose their moms, which still sucks and it's awful and horrible and it's not right or okay ever. It sucks at any age. I don't think there's any comparison. And then there's children that lose a parent. And I was 20 when she died and I'm like, what am I? <laughs> I'm not an adult. I still feel like I need my mom as a child, but me and my mom were starting to have an adult relationship. I just remember there was this isolation um, period. Um, and a big thing for me was books. Um, that's something my mom kind of taught me. She, We would take cold duffel bags to the library. It was our thing. And so I wanted a book that I could relate to. And I was looking and looking and there's some great books out there about losing your mom and what that's like but I really struggled because I could relate to them but at the same time I couldn't because I was 20 and I'm like just like a 40 year old I don't know their pain they don't know mine it's totally different when you lose that adult relationship had more time it's just each situation sucks it's just horrible either way um so I started writing a lot as a way to cope and I got it in my head that I was going to write a book on this experience. And I was like, I know there are other people out me. I want to say the statistic is, I could be totally wrong on this though. Like one in five or something college students are dealing with the loss of a close friend, family, or family member. But no one talks about that in college. No one's over here like, oh, I just went to a funeral. That's something that's kind of kept hidden and within close friends. Um so I started writing to share my story and I ended up self-publishing my book with Amazon and then the physical copy with Barnes and Noble. And through sharing that book, I was able to connect with so many other people around my age that had lost a parent because there's just something unique when you're like on the edge of we're friends, but we're still mother daughter. We're still like something like that. So yeah, that book really, I think, kind of is what helped me get through the loss. It's what helped me kind of survive it, I guess. Yeah. And what's the title of the book? It is called, Lose, let me double check my spelling, Losing Your Mom When You're 20, My Personal Experience. Okay. Wow. 
And how did you, like, I, I understand the whole writing as a, as a coping mechanism. And I think that's amazing because there's so many unhealthy ways that we can cope. Um, and so glad for you that you were able to find one that was uh, fairly healthy. I, how do you, cause I told you before we started recording, like I thought of writing a book. How did you, how did you know what to do? Like, or did you just had, did you just have writings and thoughts and things? And as you were reading through them, you were thinking, huh, I think I could turn this into a book. Like, can you just tell us a little bit, like how you walked through that process and figured it out at the ripe old age of, I don't know, what were you then? I think I was 22 when I started writing it. Okay. Yeah. For me, I remember just these collective ideas of things that aren't talked about. And I was like, uh, like, for example, one of them, the adjusting back to school. No one's talking about what you do when someone dies and you go back to school. There's no guide on how to do that. And I was like, I want to talk about that. Or the struggle with my friends still having parents and they naturally complain about them. That's normal. Everyone does it. But that anger and the complicated feelings and it kind of just became if a thought came up in my brain and it bothered me enough or I felt passionate enough, I was like, okay, this is going to be a chapter. It's a very small book, but it's just things that I'm like, I think other people get this, but we're not talking about it. So I'm going to. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome because it is so true. And even that, like you talked about. So you just mentioned going back to school and then friends complained about their parents. The other thing is that whole, like you were in that transition of your time of your relationship with your mom that you had started to become friends, but hadn't, you know, fully transitioned to that yet. And I think that that leaves like such a, such a void, you know, because she still was a lot of the mom role to you. But like you said, she was also your best friend. Um, you know what I mean? So it's one thing when you lose your mom who was like in the mom role, but you were in that transition and hadn't fully transitioned yet. So do you have a chapter talking about that at all? I do. Um, I figured. Especially about, because like you said, it's a weird, I feel like I had about two years with my mom where we're like, oh, my teenage years, we fought and bickered like no tomorrow. Like we were so similar. It just, it was conflicting. But then we had a few years where it was like, what she had with her mom her mom was her best friend and I was like oh this is happening now like we're adults it's mm -hmm. and then it was just robbed and gone mm -hmm. yeah wow wow um I'm really sorry for the experience that you had in your in the hospital with the with the pastor and the woman woman from the bible study and good for you for sticking up for yourself everybody else who are they, what were you what, how were you 20 when your mom you I was 20, 20. yeah that everybody left you in the room to handle it and just good for you for saying you know what I think it's time for you to leave um and that's the one thing like that if I write a book I did do a podcast on platitudes but those things that people say that they just think are helpful and it's just like a knife in the back um, and to say that for her to text a group, I hope another woman in that group held her accountable. Did anybody reply and be like, listen, you know, like Rachel's 20 years old doing the best she can dealing with her mom, watching her mom die in front of her. Why don't you stay in your lane there, Karen? Did anybody tell her that? There was no one really. There was replies of like, oh no, that's horrible. Like, 
oh, what if, I don't know God's plan, but there was no one. It really made me mad at the church for a long time. Yeah. You don't know God's plan just as much as I don't. It's right. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, you know, what? but as I, as I was saying that out loud myself as an adult, I wouldn't have done that kind of confrontation over text. I would have waited till I saw Karen mm-hmm. in person, but I hope, yeah, I hope so too. You know, I would hope that somebody, that somebody um, would, and I just talked about this on a recent podcast is that um, I was mad at God for about 20 years because I was holding him responsible for other people's actions. But, mm-hmm. you know, that's not the kind of God that I I've learned and choose to believe in, you know, it's a loving God, not a, not a guilt kind of, yeah, God that's going to condemn you for obviously struggling over losing your mom, which anybody would do, you know? So, wow. It's just, and so I, it, it takes me back to the things that happened to me too. And just makes me like, God, these people who could be could be the love of God in those times that why are, why do they do that? Why yeah. do they do that? So I'm glad that you, that you mentioned that. Cause that is, that's no good. Um, and also the, you talked about that, you know, you really had no idea what your mom's wishes were um, that you, you know, you thought that you and your dad both knew that she wouldn't want to live like that. Do you talk about any of that stuff in your book about like, making plans or deciding like what kind of things to have in place because at 20 years old you don't really think about that yeah that's something I stress in my book that I think everyone should do I know people think it's ridiculous I have a literal book you can get on Amazon called I'm dead now what wait that's your book no Oh, I have that book too. Okay. I'm sorry. And I have that and I employ, like I tell everyone in my life to get that book because I don't care how old you are. Something can happen and people need to know. Like I knew my mom's wishes after she passed, like funeral, cremation, burial. I knew all that. We discussed that, but we never talked about if I'm in an accident or if I'm on life support, what do you want? So I'm like, I don't care if you're 20 or 50. It's a conversation that needs to be had with someone in your life. Yeah, I 100% agree, especially with like DNRs and things like that. Like you, you, for, for the patient themselves to try to make that kind of decision, if they're in some sort of distress, you said your mom had asthma already, right? So Mm -hmm. she, you know, had experienced complicated breathing through her life. But, you know, to think about if she's in in the throes of like respiratory distress and her lungs collapsing, that's not the time when you want to say, Hey, by the way, you know do you want a DNR or not? You know, like, it's just, you know, so you're right. It doesn't matter if you're 20 or 50, think about those kind of life choices that you want to be able to make with a 100% engaged mind. That's not preoccupied with the fact that I am struggling to breathe right now. So yeah, I agree too. Um, I, my, my kids are probably a little sick of hearing things. So my mom was like, listen, I want to be cremated. I want this. I don't want that. <laughs> and they're like, I know mom, I get it. I'm like, well, you won't have any, you know, you it's won't helpful. have any. Yeah. You won't be wondering what I think because I have flat out told you. And thank goodness she mentioned that book. I bought that book after my dad died and he had a little, we had a little discrepancy with able, being able to find their, his most recent copy of his will. And my dad was a pretty like organized person. It actually wasn't their fault. It was the 
whoever had done its fault. But I went out and bought that book, but I haven't I haven't done it all. So thanks for bringing that up. It reminded me about that. So if you're listening to this, we will um, we will link Rachel's book in the in the show notes, and we will also link the I'm Dead Now What book because I think that that's a great resource as well. Um, so what would be your other favorite chapter? Like, is there something we haven't talked about a part of your chapter that if you looked back on your 20 year old self that you really wish you had known at that time that people don't talk about any other favorite chapter you had? My, I think my favorite one was how your friendships are going to change. Um, I mean, your friendships are changing in your twenties anyways. I feel like that's a really formative time there's just the straight truth is there's always going to be a disconnect of like if you've been through a trauma and they haven't but that doesn't have to be this negative thing you can still work through it with those friendships and they can for the most part most friendships can make it through it it's just going to look different than how it did before Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and sometimes it requires some pretty honest or maybe some people think blunt conversations but Mm -hmm. I mean I think I think to get over this stigma of this of the uncomfortableness that we have in our culture uh, when people want to listen death is a part of where I'm dying right now every day we're we're dying but we Mm -hmm. do such a horrible job of talking about it but for you to be able to say you know what I know it's probably uncomfortable for you because you know that my mom is dead but I like to talk about her and you don't have to worry about bringing her up because I enjoy that. And you know what I mean? Those are the kind of things that I think, especially at the age of 20 would be like, okay, let's just, let's just put that elephant out there on the table, name it. And I'll tell you how I feel about it. And, you know, we can see how you react to that. I don't know. You know, you wouldn't know how all your friends would, but like I, when I have had people who have communicated with me, like the best way that it works for them to be able to be supported in that kind of time. I'm always like, oh, thank you. You know, thank you for making me aware of what I can do best to support you. Um, because as much as I don't like those platitudes and stuff, I mean, sometimes they, I, I, I don't say any of the, like, you know, God has a plan or everything happens for a reason, but sometimes even when you say, I'm sorry, I'm like, it, it's, it sounds just a little yeah, flat. I'll find myself saying those things. And I'm like, I didn't appreciate them. Why am I saying it to someone? Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's like, like, yeah, it just doesn't. As soon as I say it, I'm like, uh, so I, I personally appreciate those kind of conversations. And I think that that's a great, great thing, um, to talk about, especially in your twenties and your friendships are already, you know, dynamic and changing anyways, because of different seasons of life. So I think that's a really good point. So to wrap up here, do you have any final thing you want to share with the listeners, either people who are in their 20s that might be experiencing loss or somebody who's got a child that's in their 20s that experienced a loss or any final thing that you'd like to share today? Yeah, um, the biggest thing I want to say is don't be afraid to talk about it. The first year, yeah, like I joined a support group and I had a counselor, but I was so nervous. Like I didn't bring it up with friends and stuff. And when I started talking, whether it's about the actual ICU experience and her death or who she was, that's when I started healing is 
I'm not going to erase her. I had her for 20 years. She had 55 years on this earth. Like, I don't care if you talk about it publicly to hundreds of people or you just find one friend, but find someone or some some way to just talk about it because keeping it inside, I think, is one of the most dangerous things you can do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And once you, like you said, you know, the first year or whatever the time period is for what are who, the people that are listening, um, I think that um, just it keeps them alive. You know what I mean? And that's what you're saying. Like, you know, even though they're no longer here on earth, she will always be your mom, always. Um, and so talking about them and then sometimes you hear stories from other people that you're like, oh, I never knew that. And it just can continue to keep, to keep her a part of your life because she always will be. Mm-hmm. And I don't be mean to be a Debbie Downer because you're only 23, but you know, it doesn't go away. Mm-hmm. So you'll go through all different seasons of life and life, life changes and events that you'll, you'll wish she was with you. Um, so but man, Rachel, thank you so much. Like, good for you that for the the work that you've done personally, and then sharing it with um, the with the um, hope of helping other people in that twenty year old time frame. Um, that's really remarkable. Good for you. Thank good for you. Yeah, yeah. I told you before we started recording. I've been thinking about a book for years, and here you are at twenty three years old. Done. You did it. I, you just got to have the passion and drive. I was really angry that there was nothing out there for me. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it then. Yeah. Yeah. Good for you. Well, good for you. And thank you so much for being here today. If you liked this episode or you are a fan of the show, the best way to support it is to share it on social media and with your family and friends. For more of my thoughts on the grief journey, please visit my website, www.yourgriefjourney.com. As always, remember, we can use grace, grit, and gratitude to grow with our grief.